Hope and welcome to our Living With podcast, where we will be addressing many topics of concern surrounding a cancer diagnosis. Along with up-to-date information and expert input, we hope to open the conversation around living with cancer. Dr. Anisha Patel was diagnosed with advanced bowel cancer at 39 years old in September 2018. She is in the unique position of sitting on both sides of the fence as both a GP and a cancer patient. After two life-saving operations and months of chemotherapy, she has now been in remission for almost five years. As well as campaigning for greater awareness of bowel cancer and its symptoms, she has appeared on ITV's Lorraine to advocate for better understanding of cancer symptoms and the lasting effects. Hello, Anisha. Hi, Maria. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much, Anisha. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, now, in our, my intro, I mentioned briefly that you're in the unique position of you following the cancer pathway as both a patient and a GP. Can you tell me a wee bit about that? That's right, Maria. Uh, thank you for inviting me. And um, I am a GP, actually, by, by my day job. Um, and I was diagnosed with stage 3B rectal cancer back in 2018. Um so obviously being a doctor with a life-changing illness um, really was sort of, I felt like I was on the wrong side of the table, I'll be perfectly honest, um, when I was diagnosed. And and more so because my husband also is a doctor and actually specialised in bowel cancer, which is what I was diagnosed with essentially. So I think we're in a really um, funny position. In some ways we could access information readily. Um, but in other ways, we probably knew a bit too much. And sometimes that, that was really a double edged sword. With your, with your diagnosis, a lot of what thing, what our patients, a lot of them say is that it changes them. It changes things in their life. It changes outlooks in their life. For you, what have been the changes that you've experienced and have, have any of them been for the better and have maybe any of them not been so much for the better? Yeah, so I think. The physicality of, you know, what happens post-treatment in terms of side effects, chemotherapy or whatever treatment you've had. And for me also, as well as chemo from surgery as well, you know, I've had to learn to live with new normals of bowel habits. And, you know, I will never have my old normal bowel habit ever again. And, you know, nerve pains in your hands from chemo. Um, and I think you learn to live have to live with those things you know chronic pain from sciatica is another thing I have and you know some of those things you know I would you know give back obviously everything and cancer in a heartbeat but there have been positives that cancer has brought me and maybe us as a family in terms of just valuing things you know more better appreciation of life appreciating the smaller things um gratitude for every day and also just taking on opportunities to do things like this to do podcasts to raise awareness um and to you know hopefully help others that may find themselves in a situation such as mine you talked about your sort of the symptoms that you experienced during your cancer treatment can you tell me is there anything that you as a you know as a patient just thinking of anyone that's maybe at the start of their treatment at the start of of, of this whole process was there anything with regards to the fountain center that you used that maybe helped along the way 
Yeah, so I was introduced to the Fountain Centre actually via um, my cancer specialist, Nurse Angie, there. And, you know, at the time, I didn't know it was my lifeline that I really needed because, you know, you're told you've got a diagnosis of cancer. All you can see is I've got to get on with treatment and the way forward. But actually, the ripple effect, um, not just on me, on my family, so my children accessing, for example, play therapy and counselling through the Fountain Centre when they needed it. For me, um, there's obviously the huge mental health impact that cancer brings. And I think I very much wanted to deal with it in a matter of fact way, almost slightly clinical, because maybe I'm a doctor that's slightly distanced from it. But actually what I was suffering with and I began to start suffering with was panic attacks and anxiety, often at night where you know, I seem to be functioning through the day and getting on with things and, you know, getting ready for surgery. But at night I couldn't sleep and I was having these awful symptoms. And so it was suggested by the Fountain Centre um, that I maybe try hypnotherapy, um, which was brilliant. I'd never had hypnotherapy before, um, but that really helped sort of calm me, relax me. I also had um, the hypnotherapist visit me on the ward after my surgery because I was still suffering with panic then. And um, a reflexologist as well, just to give you that moment of relaxation from the chaos and the hubbub on the ward um, was just priceless. And I think as time went on, you know, it, it was more and more evident that I'd probably need to speak to someone, get counselling. Um, and that's where I accessed Danny, who I obviously had quite a long term relationship with in terms of um, the therapy she offered me. And I think, you know, I think Danny will vouch for this. I didn't even know that I needed that therapy. So when it was suggested to me, I think we'll book you in. And I was sort of saying, oh, I think I'm fine. I think I'm fine. Actually, when she visited me on the ward sort of three or four weeks after diagnosis, after my second operations, I was in absolute bits. And, you know, I think knowing or someone signposting to you, even as me as a doctor, where things may help is so invaluable because obviously I mean you say see it day in day out and actually you can see someone you can look at all the symptoms that they got whether that be mental or physical and then you could signpost them to you know one of the, the therapists within your center that might be most useful for them and that's what's brilliant about the fountain center um, and even later on after treatment I had bad nerve pains from chemo I had sciatica and through them uh, through the fountain center I saw an acupuncturist so there was you know, it was a whole army that helped me recover from my cancer and get me through it. And, you know, I would say to anyone that this is just as important as sort of your life saving treatment, because without it, I don't think I could have kept going forwards through each sort of hurdle. Obviously, you're a professional lady. You're a mother. So you've all these other hats that you that you wear, that you wore. Did you find it hard to actually ask for the help initially, Anisha? Because you're you're obviously the one that was used to being the one in control and the one that sorts every your mummy that sorts everything out. Your initial work that sorts everything out. Was it hard for you to just ask for that help? I think so. I mean, I think my priority when I was diagnosed was my children. And I know when I visited the centre, I was like, no, 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 I need my children. So I need them to be spoken to first. I need you. Know, I'm fine. I'm fine. And I think there comes that thing as a mother that you kind of see the ripple effect on everyone else. And that was very much. And I think it depends what phase you're in. I was very much in a denial phase for most of my treatment. Actually, it was only till afterwards where you have the time to process things that, that things um, unravel and you can unpick things and start to work through things. 
But I don't think I was afraid to ask for help. It was just that I didn't know that I needed it. Um, and actually, I was just trying to save everyone else around me, whether rather than and what I say to my patients is, you know, put your own life jacket on first before you try and help everyone else around you. And, you know, I'll freely admit, you know, I was trying to do it the other way around initially. One of the many positive things and the ways that you have channeled your energy, Anisha, is you have written a book. Uh, now, tell us, the book's called Everything You Hoped You'd Never Need to Know About Bowel Cancer. Now, tell us a bit about that book and how it came about that, you, that you, you're you now an author on top of everything else you've achieved. Um, I think it came about by this. And, and quite frankly, the day I was diagnosed, I said to my husband, you know, Right, we're, we're both doctors. You know, this has happened. You even work in the field of cancer that I've been diagnosed with. We we surely have to do something with this to to channel it into a positive. Like, what can we do? And you know, I started my way writing through through cancer as a catharsis for me. But what soon happened after that was that it became a support and a community for others on Instagram um, under the name of that Doctors Get Cancer Too. And what I didn't realise was, you know as well as helping me at the time. And I'd never been a writer, but suddenly I had this ability to sort of express my emotions, which really helped me process it. Like even I'll say this now, I used to write things down and then I'd post it on social media and then I'd read what I'd written to Danny, the counsellor, as a way of just going through each bit. And through that, I just, you know, was getting asked to be part of cancer campaigns and work with the NHS and work within the media to break down health taboos, to break down stigma, to raise awareness of cancer, to raise awareness of cancer in, in the young, because I was diagnosed at the age of 39. And often we forget that, you know, any cancer can happen in any age, in any race. Um, and as a result of that, I was asked to write a book because I wrote and talk a lot about bowel cancer and, and a lot of other things, including women's health. And so I wrote this book um, about bowel cancer because when I was going through treatment, there were lots of books about here and there. And there was lots of pamphlets, but there was never like a one stop book of everything that you needed to know, like from start to finish. So from the moment you hear the words, you've got cancer through to, you know, treatment. And, and that really is what the first half of the book is about, is sort of a practical, medical, emotional guide. Um, everything from, you know, what investigations you might have, what treatments, what tests, what side effects you may have how you tell your children, how you manage people around you. Um, and then the second half of the book was what I'm really passionate about talking about, and that is about life after cancer. That taboo, that subject that's often not spoken about, because surely if you finish treatment, you know, everything's done and dusted. What more could you want to talk about? But actually, life after cancer was probably one of the hardest things that I had to navigate, you know, together with the side effects, you know, early menopause, going back to work. Um, and there's a whole, and all the mental health issues. So I hope that book really uses not just my experience, but the experience of other people who've lived through bowel cancer, as well as specialists from um, Royal Surrey, Guildford Hospital, as well as other hospitals that can really make this book authentic, factual and sort of help someone that might find themselves on this journey or a relative or someone who just wants to be educated about the illness. 
I think actually that's a really good point because um, I, ha I had a reread of your book and one thing for me as someone that works in a healthcare setting really stood out. It was the toxic positivity and it's not something that ever, I never heard that expression before but I got exactly what you meant and it was, um, it's the well-intentioned words that people say to cancer patients, meaning well but actually they're not always helpful and you, you explained it really well in your book. Can you explain that for the listeners? Yeah, so we often find sometimes that people find it difficult, you know, to to know what to say to someone who's been diagnosed with cancer. And they might say something flippant like, you'll be fine. And they don't mean to cause harm by it, but they obviously don't know what to say or how to validate your feelings or acknowledge your feelings. And actually, that can make someone who's got cancer or any illness just not seen or, you know, stay positive or I know auntie so-and-so, she had it and she died or, you know, they were fine or, oh, you've been through treatment now, you know, just let's just get on with it. And and actually all those comments, you know, can come from a well-meaning place, but actually that person wants to be seen. So saying things like, I can see things are really tough for you right now, you know, is there anything I can do to help? Or I can see things are hard for you right now, you know, I'm here to listen or it just just turning the narrative round a bit can make that person feel like, yeah, they, they're trying to understand. They might not be in my shoes, but they are trying to listen and they do they do get it. Um, so I think that's a really important learning curve. And the one thing I will say is that, you know, it's better to say something than nothing. Um, and that was something that I always say to people, you know, who ask me, oh, what should I say? Well, I say, if you don't know what to say say that just say I'm really sorry this is happening to you I don't know what to say but do you want to talk about it or is there anything I can do you know or what do you want to talk about because sometimes people don't even want to talk about their illness or cancer you know they're fed up either the 15th person that's asked that day you're the at the end of your book one of the very last sort of lines in your book and you say I've learned that it's okay not to be okay to show vulnerability, to make mistakes and to live life to the full and take nothing for granted, especially my health. I think that's really, that's such a motto for us all to live by, no matter where we are in life, no matter what job we're doing, no matter how our health is at the moment, because it can all change, as you know, in a, with a flip of a coin. What, what kinds of things do you do to keep that to keep that in your head to keep that model I think you know having having children is is you know one thing that keeps you going but for me um I like to have milestones as a time to reflect pause and look at how far I've come because it just sometimes you know we can even after cancer, even though I've said to myself, I'm not going to take anything for granted, I'm not going to get swept away, I'm going to take a moment to enjoy the view. Um, I think milestones, whether that be birthdays, whether that be cancerversaries, whether that be, you know, um, birth of a, a child, whatever it is, I think it's, you know, um, it's really important to stay focused that even when you're going through hard times again, or it's scan time, that actually you look back and go, do you know what? look how far I've come and actually the days when you're not okay that tomorrow will be another day and it's it's actually you know I one of the things I learned from Danny at the Fountain Centre was about learning to show my own own vulnerability you know I would mask how I feel day in day out 
But actually now I'm not afraid to say to my work colleagues or my friends that actually, do you know what? I'm not really doing too well right now because it's scan time, for example, or because my health's not right. Um, you know, I just give me a few days or give me how long, you know, it will come right. So I think it's also about communication because I think sometimes we feel like we have to have it all together, especially after cancer. And we don't, you know, I think what I remember, remember you know, Danny saying and what I've learned is that cancer is a trauma. Um, and, you know, from that, I definitely have grown so much out of it. And, you know, I learned whilst writing this book, it's called Post-Traumatic Growth. And I have, you know, really, really grown in so many ways. And I think people do. And that's that's OK, too. Well, I think the book will be invaluable for anyone with a cancer diagnosis. Obviously, bowel cancer, because that's your story. But I think anybody with a cancer diagnosis in general it will be really the book will be invaluable for because it's all it's the other things outside of the leaflets as you say you know the talk about oh the treatment or whatever but it's the inside it's the emotion it's the fit it's the it's the physical psychological stuff I think that people don't really know about so I think your book will be invaluable Anisha and I know you're very kindly going to give us some copies for our library um, and we will definitely be encouraging people to you know to, to recommending that to our patients because you know if you've been there you've done that and now you have literally wrote the book <laughs> <laughs> I know it's very cliched isn't it Maria? <laughs> I think it's that's what I want to do is just make it easier for someone else because even even I as a doctor who you know one might think oh you should you know be, know the drill but actually I was a patient first and foremost as my surgeon reminded me and you know, everyone on this journey feels vulnerable. And, you know, I just wanted someone else and that be the book to just hold your hand through it. And that's what I hope it does. And when is it, what is the release date for your book, Anisha? Remind us. So it's already out for pre-order, but it's being launched for um, Bowel Cancer Awareness Month in April. So the 30th of March, it will be out in hard copy. <laughs> and we will attach some links to this podcast of where people can purchase. So, Anisha, thank you so much for joining us today. That's really great. lovely. And thank you for your time. That's great. Thanks for having me, Maria. Take care. All the best. Take care. Bye. Bye.